once you finally took ownership of your own life, as opposed to looking for all these other things to sort of just, you know, slurp up, so to speak, that's what changed it for you. And you also alluded to acceptance and those types of things. But that is the hard part is, can you be honest with yourself and take ownership of the situation you're in? And then only from there can you start to implement the adversity and for it to start to take effect. Hey, what's happening, you guys? Welcome back to the Proclivity Podcast. I am your host, Joel Cochran, and one of the things you're going to notice, my co-host. My co-host isn't here. Why is that? That's because on a whim, in less than 24 hours, I talked to our guest today, and he agreed to be on the podcast. And there's a reason that we want to do this in such a short amount of time. That's because... Jack, who is on our podcast today, is 48 hours post-op. And this isn't just one operation that he has had. He has had a multitude of operations. And what this has done for him is it has given him the ability to be strategic in his adversity. Jack Sornet is an incredible man, incredible coach, public speaker, and one of the most resilient people that I know. And we have him live today, 48, over, 48 hours post-op. And what we're going to be talking today, guys, is about strategic adversity. We can, be, we can have adversity, but what is strategic adversity? Jack's going to talk to us about his, uh, the tools he has learned along his way, you're going to get to hear a little bit about his story. We've had him on before. You guys, I am super excited to welcome Jack onto the Proclivity Podcast. Sir, welcome. Joel, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. This is, uh, this is good. I feel like this is one of those classic examples of from the chest down, I got like tubes and gross stuff. And from the chest up, though, I look fine. So it's like people wearing their underwear on Zoom. It's, it's a uh, Unique experience for sure, twenty or forty-eight hours post-op. And and I want to give I want to give the listeners right now because it's so important to understand this. Give us some background first on the operation you just had, and what you have been going through since two thousand seventeen, eighteen. Seventeen, yeah, 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 yeah. So I had this two days ago was my 22nd surgery and it was my 14th for urology purposes. So bladder, ureter, kidneys, and uh, I guess kidneys is technically nephrology. And basically my doctors got to the point where they said, Hey, you're going to go like this real quick if we don't do this surgery. And it's not just like a typical surgery where you go back to normal. Um, it was one that I was told you're going to have a tube basically coming out of your lower abdomen the rest of your life. Um, and this is like level one. Now, after about three months, if this doesn't work, there's a more extreme version of this that we have to do. Um, and that would be like tending to it on an hourly basis. Like every hour of her day, I have to tend to it. It's this big bulge coming out of my stomach. It would be a lot more extreme than the one I have now. And, uh, you know, having two weeks to let that marinate in my brain, I've had a lot of practice as you said, sort of strategically choosing adversity, but also just not wasting my precious time and energy on things I can't control. And so that's what it's come down to is, you know, I can sit here 
and whine and moan and complain about the situation I'm in, but it's not going to magically make the tubes go away or make my kidneys and bladder heal. And so that is essentially what I've done is just keep it super, super simple and try to, so what I did before this surgery is I asked my surgeon, how could this be worse? Like, is there a worse mm. version of this? <clears throat> and then he told me that. And so that right there got my perspective in check. And so now it's not quite as hard for me to deal with this. Like anything that's ever happened to me, I always ask myself, like, how could this have been worse? And it could always be worse. If it's not mm -hmm. death, it could always be worse. So just with my own example, the second surgery that I, that I potentially would have to get, that's already worse than this. So this is not that bad compared to that. And so already my focus and my perspective is, uh, is dialed as they say. So how old are you? Yeah. 29 and you've 29. had 22 surgeries. Yeah. 22 surgeries. So I, the chronic kidney disease and my ureters and bladder stopped working when on my 23rd birthday. So literally the day I turned 23, <clears throat> excuse me, back in 2017 in beautiful sunny San Diego. And, um, from then until now I've had, this is now the 14th or 15th surgery for this urology stuff. Um, over a hundred kidney infections. Jeez. I had sepsis. Um, I had pick lines, mid lines. I had nephrostomy tumors coming up, coming out of my back for about 13 months. Um, I've lost track of how many days in the hospital. I know the most I spent in one year was 303 days. Um, hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of days there. And you know, the thing is though, it's given me opportunity to practice being resilient. I've had this opportunity to sit and just, the only thing I could do was just like work on what's going on between my ears and how can I manage things that happen that I don't want to happen. Whereas in the past, when I had all these other surgeries for sports injuries, I would immediately go to like that human nature default. Like, oh, this is not fair. Why me? I wouldn't really focus on, okay, how can I use this to my advantage? Because I never had a chance to like stop and reflect or I didn't have the foresight for that. So this has been a, a blessing and a curse. I know, I feel like a lot of people probably say that, you know, when something terrible happens to them, like, oh, I wouldn't change for the world. I truly would because I was a uh, mentally weak, I would say, mental pansy before I was uh, 23. So it's a very hard line in the sand, pre-23 and then post-23. It's such a difference, right, such right. a difference. I, I mean, incredible. I mean, I always love talking to you, Jack, because uh, I, I true. I mean, I don't know what you call yourself, but I call you a, a resilience coach because I don't know anyone else out there who has gotten the reps that you have when it comes to resiliency. Right. There's a lot of coaches out there that are getting yeah. into cold water. Right. And they're posting it on their Instagram. I'm like, spend 303 days in the hospital, not being able to deadlift your 400 pounds or run your 20 miles, you know, and yeah. you're going to call that resilience because I can run 20 miles. Try sitting and not being able to do anything and just in between the years type of resiliency. And so I want to check on your resilience right now. You're 48 hours post-op. Is this different than times before? What, what are you feeling right now? And what are you going through? Yeah. Yeah, no, this is, this is definitely different because this one is the first surgery I've had that is permanent. Like this will be something that I will I will get to live with the rest of my life. You know, we're big on words, Joel. I don't have to live with this. I get to live with this. So, uh, sort of catching my brain and catching myself when I start thinking about um, all the things that this will prevent me from doing. I'm able to catch myself and realize like I, no matter how much I think about it or stress about it, it's not going to magically reverse time and change it. And so it's sort of balancing that 
what we talked about in the past, Joel, that just radically accepting this is the situation I'm in and how I'm going to make the best of it, as opposed to wasting time and energy on things I can't change. And it's really that simple. The problem is, though, not problem, but the challenge is it's throughout the day. I have to go back and forth, that inner critic to my, you know, clear conscious mind, inner critic to conscious mind, back and forth. And so that's been the uh, the battleground for the past 48 hours is just you know, sometimes I'll forget and I look down, and I'm like, oh, there's all the tubes, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting experience. And to your point, though, I knew this was coming. So I had time to practice and prep for it. Um, even if I knew it was unexpected or it was like an emergency thing, I, I'm confident I could handle it. But to your point, you know, life, God, the universe, whatever you want to call it, has thrown plenty of pieces of adversity at my life. So leading up to the surgery, I was getting two to four kidney infections a month. And those are crippling, like high fever, severe pain. So I wasn't able to work a lot. I was in the hospital a lot. And that's part of the reason why we got this surgery. So already right there, I was getting these examples and these opportunities of adversity to try to overcome. In the weeks I didn't have a kidney infection, to your point, I would strategically choose adversity. Sauna, cold shower, foods I don't like, having tough conversations with people, different things I could do to continue to scratch that itch and sharpen the ax when it comes to resiliency. Because as you know, it's a skill. You can get stronger at it, and if you don't use mm. it, you definitely lose it. So there's weeks where I will definitely get softer if I don't uh, implement adversity. So it goes both ways. Um, but, yeah, long story short, this is a different approach for me because this is the first surgery I've had where, hey, there's no going back. Like this is – this. I'm 29. This is you until you're 100-plus, until you you know until you pass on. So that's been a little bit of a daunting thing to, to wrap my head around. Because it's like for you, Joel, if you were told like, hey, there's just going to be this thing coming out of your body the rest of your life and you have to tend to it every day. It's just that when you're not used to that, you know what I mean? It takes a little bit of time to reflect and work on that. So that's been the unique battle currently that I'm dealing with. Um, However, you know, I'm able to tap into moments throughout the day where it is. I just know with all of my heart, I will handle it and I'll get through it and I'll I'll use it as an advantage. and as as perspective, for it's, sure. It's it, there's a couple things in there that I mean, it's just incredible, right? You're talking forever here. I mean, so often, yeah. people who do not practice strategic adversity, something that can be short termed, right? Maybe a maybe a breakup, a yeah. change of jobs. Like you're gonna get another job, you're gonna get into another relationship, like you're gonna make more money. We'll treat it as if it is a tube that's going to be coming out of their body for the rest of their lives. How do we, how do we help people? Well, I mean, when it comes to strategic adversity, we have the different things, right? That people know about, like, you got to get up at five o'clock, just get yourself to the gym, right? Is that strategic adversity? What, what are the tools that you have used? Because you have some very intriguing ones that I will bring up if you don't bring up uh, that I've gone, Oh my gosh, I really like that. Yeah, well, I think the first thing, you know, this is, I think, super magical and powerful if you're someone in a leadership position or if you're a parent. You have clients who who have kids. I have clients who have kids. I work with people who have kids. And, you know, they lead by example more than what they say. Their kids will take after how they act and how they respond to adversity more than what they tell them to do. And so right there off the bat, if you're someone who's got – kids or someone who looks up to you, that's already a huge opportunity. Number two is, I think before we talk about any adversity, I think everyone on a human level ought to 
accept that something bad will happen in our life. Like maybe bad's not the right word, but adversity will strike. Something will happen that you don't want to happen. And that might be every week. That might be every month. It might be every year. It's just a fact. And it can be uncomfortable to accept that fact because we don't like to think about, oh my God, it's going to be so stressful and sad and depressing. But I would also argue that makes the moments of happiness, joy, and peace mm. that much more powerful because it's not all in one spot. But I think that is the biggest thing. For whatever reason, for most of my life, every time something, every time adversity came into my life, I was almost surprised by it. I'm like, oh, this shouldn't be happening to me. You know, the world should revolve around me. Um, but I didn't realize that just a part of being a human is adversity will strike. And for some people, it hits more than others. You obviously know some people, I'm sure, who've been through yeah. a ton of adversity and trauma. And some people have maybe had like one thing happen to them that wasn't that big of a deal. But something is coming. It's kind of like death. You know, the idea of like, hey, we're all going to die one day. It's not really super fun for people to think about, but it's also just a fact. And so if we can be aware of that, that can be like a huge first step when it comes to adversity. And then for strategic adversity, for me, to me, it has to be a daily practice. This is something I have to actively and consciously choose every single day, just like I brush my teeth, just like I drink water, just like I eat food. Otherwise, the skill, the habit, the routine mm. will go away. And eventually, if you do it enough days in a row, if you choose to step out of your comfort zone enough days in a row, it will be like brushing your teeth, where if you don't do it, you feel yeah. weird. You feel yeah. strange. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, you know, in regards to actual things, everyone's a little bit different. I know, Joel, you probably get a dopamine hit mm -hmm. from different things than I do. Um, some of the, at a baseline though, I think the broad stroke that we could call it is doing something that makes you uncomfortable. You are choosing uncomfortability. That's even a word. And for you, it might literally be extreme temperature, sauna, cold plunge, a hard conversation, um, a certain shirt or clothing article that makes you feel a little insecure, but you're going to wear it anyways, because mm -hmm. you want to, um, maybe it's being still and quiet. You know, you talked about this a couple minutes ago. One of the best things that ever happened to me was I had a lot of downtime and practice just being quiet and not using devices. My vision would get blurred a lot because of all the meds. So I couldn't like scroll through my phone and watch TV. I would just sit there and be. Wow. We are human beings, right? And the ability to sit quietly in a room and just be with your thoughts, that's that's for a lot of people, that's adversity right there. Mm -hmm. That would be hard for them to do. Um, so I, I would say find what works for you. Um, I know for me, there's certain things that are not hard anymore. Like for me, cold showers, cold tubs and saunas is fun. It's no longer adversity for me. So I've, ha I've been having to find some new things to add into my life to um, continue to sharpen that axe, oh, if does. that makes sense. It does. And um, I, I, I have this, uh, a saying that I use with my clients. There's, there's difficult, easy, and there's difficult, difficult, right? The difficult, Boom. easy yeah. could be running 20 miles. And everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. Well, yeah, it's difficult, but I mean, I run 20 miles every week, you know, so it's actually easy. The difficult, difficult be, could be the one of, man, I, I feel like shutting down because I was never shown how to have safe emotions. And so I really want a stone wall right now. Yet what would help with strategic adversity is actually going into the conversation. Even though I don't want Correct. to engage. I'm going to engage into this. And I, I think of it as the same way right before I get into like, you know, first when I wake up first thing in the morning and now every day the temperature is getting a little bit colder with the water here in, in Reno, Nevada, where now it's like it went, it was 46. Now it's 45. Now it's 44. 
the first thing in the morning, taking those breaths before I get into that cold water into the shower, it's like the same kind of resistance. It's almost looking for that resistance where it's like, I feel that resistance. Yep. And I don't want to do it. And then bam, can I push past it? I've got plenty of clients I work with that struggle to, they're, they're either very narrow-minded. So the second I bring up like sauna or cold plunge or go outside when it's bad weather and go on a 20 minute walk, they just, they're like, nope, never going to do it. They're, they're just transparent. And I appreciate that. I think one of the best places to go to, but also a difficult spot is, you know, if you talk to 10 people today and you asked them and looked them right in the eyes and said, what is the obstacle that's holding you back in your life? Like, what's the main thing that is preventing you from becoming a better version of yourself? That's where you can start right there. That is, a, to your point, you go into that conversation, you choose to go into the storm. You know, I think we can all, if we're honest, there's, there's one main thing probably right now holding you, Joel, back from being a better version of yourself or myself. And I know for me, it's my health right now. And what comes to the health is some financial struggles because I can't work consistently. So I'm going to dive into, okay, how can I navigate those waters and not let it stress me and depress me and all those things. And so for a lot of my clients, a lot of the audiences I talk to, I just go from there. And already you can see people's faces kind of cringe because they know deep down what the answer is, but it's hard to admit it. So there's that classic stoicism phrase, mm -hmm. the obstacle is the way. That is that first place. If you don't have something that you feel like you can latch onto, like a difficult workout or a tough conversation or stillness and quiet time, maybe go towards that. And that's what I have some clients do. Um, and obviously by default, that's they right. just grow as a person because they're finally facing the thing that's holding them back. And right there, that's, that's it. I mean, that's uncomfortable. That's adversity right there for sure. Um, and that comes back to that whole idea, Joel, that we've talked about of just like radical transparency, radical acceptance and radical ownership. And I have to practice those things every day. Otherwise I'm going to become a bullshit artist and I don't want to do that. That is just not my, my style. And so that was a lot of word vomit, but um, that's usually the place I go with people. If they can't figure out, okay, what are the things I can mm -hmm. implement in my life that I would consider strategic adversity? Start with what's the main thing holding you back mm -hmm. and face it and attack it and confront it. And it doesn't mean you need to go into a podcast and talk about it in front of thousands of people. It might just be you talk about it with yourself and like the one person you know, trust and love the most. It just depends on, you know, who you are. I wouldn't uh, necessarily go blurt it out to the world because you might get a lot of like negative answers or toxic mm -hmm. responses, which might put that person back from starting again. So that is my best advice mm -hmm. in regards to that stuff. The, the, the thing that you said there that really hit and words matter to you guys, you guys know, listening to yeah. the Proclivity podcast, <laughs> right? Words matter. And radical, radical seems very like one way, right? And when you say radical acceptance, when you say radical ownership, that really hits home for me because as you said, if you start veering off that ownership and you kind of say, well, the doctors didn't tell me, or I should have known about this earlier. We start, we start veering away from that radical ownership where radical ownership is like, I own everything in my life, everything. I do not, yep. if I didn't, if they didn't tell me it's cause I didn't ask kind of situation for some people that may be really difficult because they find themselves so veered off from that radical ownership. How do we get them back towards that? Yeah, I think, I think first of all, those three, the radical transparency, radical acceptance, radical ownership, 
those are prerequisites to become more resilient because in order to become more resilient, first of all, you have to admit and be honest, be radically transparent. Oh, I'm not as resilient as I could be, or I know I could work on things and become a better version of myself. Radical acceptance is loving the situation you're in, loving your fate, accepting who you are, what you've gone through, the mistakes you've made. You're not what you have done. You're what you repeatedly do. And so even if you messed up once or twice in the past, that doesn't mean you're that person today. And then the radical ownership part, which for me has been tough because I was born with these issues. I was born with gigantic kidneys and a tiny little bladder. They told my mom when I was born, I was going to be wearing diapers my whole life. So luckily I've been able to avoid that. But I've gotten to the point now where I've personally, and I'll, I'll try to answer your question better, but I've just accepted, hey, maybe in my past life, I, I deserve this. You know what I mean? There's just something along the way. I didn't have to um, sw- turn right mm-hmm. instead of turn left. Just some, I'm just trying to find some sort of silver lining so I can take ownership of the situation I'm in, even though I have these doctors telling me every day, oh, you were born with this. There's nothing you can do. To me, that takes away my power. So I, I'm trying to find those little nuggets where I'm like, all right, there is something that I, I am at fault to a, to a degree. It is not 100% my fault, but I am part of the reason why I'm in the situation I am now. And to me, that's like wow. super powerful. And it makes you realize that you have an opportunity to yeah. change it. You know what I'm saying? As opposed to just, oh, I'm just going to be a back row, you know, peanut gallery person. Um, and I can't even remember what you said, by the way, what your question was about radical ownership. But that is another radical ownership um, for me took years to finally yeah. like accept and be honest about. Um, a lot of people love excuses and complaining. I was the leader of the pack. I did that for 23 years. It was amazing. The amount of bullshit that came out of my mouth is unbelievable. Joe, I'm sure you've been there. I mean, you know, I don't know if you mind me sharing, but you and I talked a couple weeks ago about you've spent years Mm -hmm. working on yourself, going to different events, conferences, Mm -hmm. self-help things. And I have a feeling once you finally took ownership of your own life, as opposed to looking for all these other things to sort of just, you know, slurp up, so to speak, that's what changed it for you. And you also alluded to acceptance and those types of things. But that is the hard part is, can you be honest with yourself and take ownership Mm -hmm. of the situation you're in? And then only from there can you start to implement the adversity and for it to start to take effect. Yes. And and I would would even to piggyback on that, right, is... I, I, for the most part throughout my life, there was definitely parts of victim mentality throughout my life for sure. And the older I got, the more I took ownership, right? I loved books like, you know, Jocko Willings, uh, Extreme Ownership, right? And I loved that book. But there there was still something that I wasn't taking ownership on. And I believe this is true for a lot of us, that a lot of times, we're going to say, oh, I take ownership of all these things. But the biggest thing over here that you have yet to take ownership on, the biggest wound that you have yet to take ownership on, right? For you, it's, I was born with this. You know what? I'm going to take ownership of that. You could you could have easily, and nobody would have uh, uh, you know, said anything about it if you were like, I was born with this. And they'd be like, yeah, you're right. But you literally took ownership of something that you were born with, right? And for me, it was with my mom and pointing the finger at her when it came to extreme emotions that I had throughout my entire life and not taking ownership of my extreme emotions. And when that brick came across my face, that's when I went, oh, I thought I was taking 
ownership of all these things. I wanted to leave this one in a box. And I wanted to stay the victim of this thing in a box. And I think a lot of us have this one thing or a couple things where we're like, oh, no, I, I own it. You know, I, I own my diet or I own the way I, you know, treat my husband or wife or kids. But when I go, yeah, but let's talk about dad. No, let's not talk about that. Oh, you don't want to take ownership of that. Oh, oh so you want to point to all these things you'll take ownership. But this is actually the biggest anchor that's holding you back. What you said was uh, you alluded to the victim mentality. The one way to eradicate the victim mentality is extreme ownership to your point. Like there is that, I, I really believe this. Everyone has one, that one main thing, that one trigger, that one trauma that they're strategically avoiding. Mm -hmm. I just want to use the word strategically again. Um, I'll work with clients and work with audiences and they'll kind of do surface level stuff with me. But then when I bring up like their dad or eighth grade year middle school, when they got assaulted, it's like, nope, I'm going to, it wasn't a big deal. No, no worries. Yes. As they're like crying in front of me. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting how that works. And you know, you eradicate the victim mentality by extreme ownership to your point. And at the same time, that helps you achieve post-traumatic growth, which allows you to implement that strategic daily diversity. So there's steps to this game, in my opinion. I think square one is like sitting down with yourself, ideally in a quiet spot with no music, no TV, no dopamine, no nothing. And just examining what is that main thing? What is that main obstacle in your life that you know deep down, if we hook you up to lie detector mm -hmm. test, is holding you back? What is that thing? And then ideally, eventually, you grow a big enough pair of cojones to address it, face it, mm -hmm. go into that storm. Um, you know, be like a buffalo, mm -hmm. not a cow. And then once you can do that, all of a sudden you take ownership over it. And all of a sudden you start to realize you have lots of power and you can control certain things in your life, like choosing strategic adversity. And then eventually the victim mentality mm -hmm. is like non-existent. It just doesn't even, it mm -hmm. doesn't even exist anymore. And the cool part, what you said is if you're a parent or someone like you who works with clients or myself, it starts to rub off on other people. Right. They can see that, you know, I'm not going to, uh, maybe I should, I don't know if I should say this. Uh, it doesn't matter. My dad's, my dad is someone who has done that actively mm -hmm. throughout the last decade. I've seen him be transparent and vulnerable and honest for the first time in my entire life. And we've never been yep. closer. And I have been inspired yep. by his actions because for the first part of my life, nothing, he, he never was like honest and transparent mm -hmm. about his own struggles or what was going on between his ears. Mm -hmm. And so as a child, hear my own dad say that stuff and work through these things. That has been mm -hmm. super helpful for me. And, and that almost in a way, like made me feel like, all right, if my dad's doing this, I got to get my shit together wow. and do this too. Um, so, you know, and he's, he's been his own boss for 30 plus years. He has an accounting firm. He's used to being That's a right. problem solver and a fixer. And with all of my chronic illness situations, right. he can't do anything. He can't stand going to the hospital and sitting me and watching right. me because he can't fix it. He's known to be a fixer and a solver. But with the cool thing that's come from that is he's been transparent right. about it and vulnerable and got the whole macho mm -hmm. man, you know, tough guy out of there. And to me, that opened up yeah. a whole floodgate for myself. All right. So if my like tough, really strong and resilient dad can admit the areas he's wanting to improve on that he might be falling short on, then I, then I know I can too. And that's, um, that's something that I don't think of you here. Here's like an intervention with myself. I don't think I've ever yeah. told him that, you know, but I've noticed that over the last decade, it's, it's been, uh, instrumental to my own personal wow. 
battle as well. And talking so. about strategic adversity, dude, yeah. you just pinned a new strategic adversity. Go have that conversation with my dad. Say the thing yep. I haven't had said to him, but I feel it deeply. There is a hundred percent. So the last five, six years, I've had more transparent conversations with my dad than I yes. had in the first 20 years. And I can sleep mm -hmm. easy at night now. Like, if for some re sad reason he passed away when I was 18, it'd be killing me because I know I didn't have these conversations yeah. I've been meaning to have with him. And that right there has yeah. been, it's been huge. And and so for some people yeah. that might be their starting point. It might be their parent. You know, in, in fact, I noticed, I don't know about you, Joel, but a lot of my clients, that one big trauma or obstacle is potentially oh, yeah. one of their parents. Um, and so that's, that's a good starting point. Or if it's not their parents, maybe they yeah. came from a broken home. They didn't have any parents. You know, there's a whole, yeah, you can branch yeah. off from that, but um, Oof, man, I want to touch yeah. something guys. And I want you to listen in because I know a lot of you guys who are listening have kids and there's a lot of you out there who go, I want the best for my kids. So I completely pour into my children. I want everything for them. Right. But I want you to hear what Jack said, Jack, when was that, 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 that pivot change with this, that last three years, five years during the. It's been uh so. It really happened in 2021, so about almost three years ago. It was about halfway through my chronic illness battle that he and I started to be 100% transparent with each other, mm -hmm. mainly him, because it was always my whole life me yep. spilling the beans to him. And that happened about 2021 was when we turned the corner as as a father son. And what did that do for you? Again, what was the big change for you? To me, it. To me, it made me realize it, it gave me the opportunity to do it myself. I'm like, okay, if my dad, who I've looked at as having never any issues, no struggles, no insecurities his whole life, he's telling me all these things, all these narrow thoughts he's having, all these negative thoughts he's having, the things that hold, are holding him back. When he started being honest with me, as I'm sitting there hooked up to 50 tubes in the ICU, it made me realize, okay, like if this macho, tough man, super successful guy can do that, then then it's my it, turn to do that. Does that make sense? And this is what I. And the same thing happens yes. with clients. All these surgeries I've had, all my clients have taken inspiration and motivation from it. They're like, oh, if you can do this, I know I can face mm -hmm. my problems and do it too. And so by default, I'm actually becoming a better 100%. coach or trainer just because yes. of the way I'm living my life. Yes, and yes, guys. Go ahead. Yeah, and yeah. This is what I want to drive home, Jack, because this is so important for our parents, right? We tend to go, I don't want to mess my kids up. I don't want to create trauma with them. So I'm going to try to do everything that I can. I'm going to make their lunch perfectly. And I'm going to sit with them when they're crying and I'm going to do everything for them. But I tell my parents all the time, they're watching you. They're seeing the things that you don't even know that you're doing and they're computing it. They're downloading it. And so you can go ahead and try to take that two or three minutes when your kid's having a hissy fit and, and you go, okay, I watched on Instagram that I'm supposed to act like this, or I should be comforting, or I should co-sleep, or I shouldn't co-sleep, or I should leave them alone, or, or whatever the case is for that short amount of time, but they're watching. And I want you guys to hear this. This was 2021. How old were you then, Jack? Yep. Uh, 27, 27 years old. And when he finally, his dad decided, I will be vulnerable I will heal myself. I will be open myself because he had to make that decision. He had to make that decision that I'm going to be vulnerable with my son. And he did that. He helped his son heal. So 
I've learned more about my dad in the last two years than I did the first 27 years of my life. And that right there was the catalyst to change. It's not too late to any of those parents out there. It's not too late, no matter if your kid's 2, 10, 20, or 50. Do it for you. Heal you. And your kids will immediately go, thank you for giving me that space. I will follow your steps. Does not matter. They, I, I find that so impactful for our listeners, Jack, that you shared that. And I, I really yeah. appreciate it. <clears throat> yeah. I didn't plan on even talking about that, but it just, I realized that because even just yesterday when I was recovering at my parents' house in the surgery, we had one of those super deep, thoughtful conversations. All right, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. And this is where I'm intending to go. And he had the same exact responses and answers. And there is a level of confidence and freedom and like weight off your chest. When you do the things we talked about today, like when you're honest with yourself, secrets make you sick. It just, Mm -hmm. the truth will set you free. And so that's been huge for my, for my dad and I, but also mm-hmm. just my clients and I, like when we stop the BS, there's so much freedom that comes from that. And just like a weight off your shoulders. And at the same time, as you become more resilient and as you take ownership and acceptance, you build this confidence that like, no matter what happens in your life, you know, mm-hmm. you will overcome it mm-hmm. and you're going to thrive from it. It's not cockiness because it's not like, Hey, I'm just talking that's to talk, right. but not walking the walk. There's this level of confident swagger. I like to tell my clients, um, that you get when you are radically transparent with your parents, with your kids, with yourself, take radical acceptance and radical ownership. And, and that obviously sprinkles in the strategic adversity. Um, it's this level of confidence. I don't think you can tap into doing anything else. Yeah. Oof, uh, man, this was a, this was a shorty, but a goody guys. Um, Jack, anything that you'd like to say to wrap this up, is there a, a quote that you come back to or a saying you come back to Put a bow on this thing. Yeah, so um, I'm a big fan of stoicism. As the philosophy of stoicism, the main idea is like life is not what happens to you. Life is how you respond that happens to you. Um, and that right there is like my motto, my calling card, the whole 1090 rule. Life is 10% what happens to you, mm-hmm. 90% how you respond. If you can take extreme ownership of that 90%, it's going to be amazing what you can achieve and what you can overcome and conquer throughout your life. The one thing I've noticed over the years is we are all so much more resilient than we think. What I like to come back to to remind myself of that is like, think about all the generations of Joel Cochran's of Cochran's in the past. Um, is that even how you say your last name? I hope I didn't butcher it. (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. So like all the generations of Cernets that survived, you know, thousands of years of humans that survived famine, war, struggle, just so we can be alive. Like we all have resilience mm-hmm. in our DNA. And if we don't tap into that by strategically choosing mm-hmm. it, we'll forget that. And so um, we are way more resilient and stronger than we think. We just have to remind ourselves of those things on a daily basis via the things we've talked about. So that's it right there. That's the, I that's the it, proof man. to put it. I, I, I appreciate you coming on to the show in such short notice, such short amount of time after post-op orations, tubes coming out your body and here you are. Thank you so much for taking your time. To, to be part of the Proclivity podcast. And if people want to, to reach out to you, what's the best way? Yeah, the best way is uh, either social media, you can just type in my name, Jack Cernet, and then um, email, my best email that I give people to reach out to me um, is contact at jackcernet.com. Well, thank you yeah. once again, you guys. If 
if you can reach out to Jack, he's an incredible coach and uh, an incredible man. Uh, thank you once again, you guys, if you liked this show, please like subscribe and share to all your friends. This is a great podcast to share. Please share this podcast with as many people as you can. Jack, thank you once again, man. And uh, speedy recovery, brother. I appreciate it, Joel. Thank you.